Before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. For the last few weeks, we've been talking about the faithfulness of God who promises the promises of a faithful God. And I want to continue in this theme. And I want to talk today about what happens when we see ourselves personally included in God's promises. And let's start by taking a look at a moment in the life of Jacob that transformed him and brought out uh, something very important. It's in, we'll start in Genesis chapter 28. Do you have your Bibles with you? Who, who's old school paper Bibles? Good for you. Who's part of the digerati? <laughs> who's without a Bible? Look on with the person sitting next to you. Genesis 28.10. Jacob went out from Beersheba and he traveled toward Haran. He came to a certain place and he spent the night there because the sun had set. He took a stone from the place, put it under his head and laid down there to sleep. He dreamt that there before him was a ladder resting on the ground with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of the Lord were going up and down on it. And then suddenly the Lord himself was standing there next to him. And he said, I am Adonai, the God of Avraham, your father, and the God of Yitzchak. The land on which you are lying I will give to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the grains of dust on the earth. You will expand to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. By you and your descendants, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is an incredible moment, not just because of the, the spiritual significance of having the Lord appear, but because of the message that the Lord brought to Jacob. The Lord was saying to Jacob, I'm including you in the promise that I made to your grandfather. I'm including you in the promise that I made to your father. And now I'm promising you. And it's as if the Lord is saying, Jacob, I'm including you in my plan for the whole world. Because he says to him, by you and your descendants, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Or all the families of the earth will bless themselves. So God has a plan, and it started with Abraham and Sarah, and it keeps moving forward. Now to Isaac, now to Jacob, and Jacob is included. And as we're reading and as we're thinking about and contemplating the significance to Jacob, I want to ask you to contemplate this. God wants to include you in his plan too. If you truly are descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whether descendants through natural ancestry or through a spiritual connection, then you are called to take seriously God's inclusion of you in his plan. You become children of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, so that through you, God will bless all the world. Now, he may not use you to bless the entire world, but he will use you to do your part 
So each of us has a responsibility, each of us has a calling from God to do our part. None of us can sit on the sidelines. Let's keep reading about what God said to Jacob in verse 15. The Lord said, behold, I'm with you. I will watch over you. I'll protect you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land because I won't leave you until I have done what I have promised you. These are three very personal promises to Jacob, a promise of God's personal presence, of God's protection everywhere, and God's promise to bring Jacob back to the land. Remember, Jacob's on a journey. He's going out, and he needs to come back in order to fulfill all that God has promised to him. Now, be mindful of this. Jacob is asleep while all this is happening. He's asleep physically, but he's awake spiritually. And in verse 16, it tells us Jacob awoke from his sleep. And he said, wow, the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know this. He woke up conscious of what had just happened. He didn't say, man, that was some dream. He, he didn't think that he was working through uh, some subconscious process where he could figure out his thoughts and his feelings. He actually interpreted the dream as if it had been a real physical experience. Even though it happened in his sleep, when he woke up, he was saying, the Lord is really in this place. The Lord is here and I didn't even know it. I went to sleep thinking I was by myself, but while I was asleep, I discovered God was here. This was a dream, but it was congruent with other appearances of the Lord, other times when the Lord had physically come down and manifest himself uh, with one of the patriarchs. So it wasn't just a dream, it wasn't just a psychological process. It, it was an encounter with the Lord. And it included a lot of physical details. Look at, look at the scriptures and you'll see that it describes the Lord standing next to Jacob. That's a physical detail. So it's not presenting a picture of God being this invisible force who exists outside of our time-space material world, but it describes God as being God who can come down from heaven and stand next to someone, someone being Jacob. It's not only a specific place, but it's next to the ladder. So there's a ladder, which is certainly a spiritual picture, a ladder that connects heaven and the earth, but it's also got physicality to it because the Lord is standing next to it in the dream. It's very concrete in physical detail. There's this place, the land where Jacob is lying. And then when Jacob awakes, he exclaims the Lord is in this place. He's not saying the Lord was here. He's saying the Lord is here, right here. And there's another aspect that I think is worth paying attention to. The blessings which God promises to Jacob are both spiritual and material blessings. 
So the ladder that's between heaven and earth, God standing next to Jacob on the ladder, this is an expression that God is the God of heaven and he's the God of earth. And it conveys a very important idea that there's really one world and that this world has two dimensions to it, a spiritual dimension and a material dimension, but they're united into one world. Many religions, many philosophies, many ways of uh, seeing the world are different than this. They think of the world as being completely separate. There's a spiritual world out there and there's a material world. Some of the ancients thought the material world was an illusion or it was lower than the spiritual world and that the spiritual world had nothing to do with physicality and the real world that we're living in. And so people who, who saw this disconnection between these two worlds had a different view of God. God is a spirit outside the world, but our life in the world, this is not connected to God because God is not in this world. But we're seeing something. The world is united. One God who is able to be in the spiritual world and simultaneously in the physical world. Ask yourself this question. When God was physically present with Abraham, did that mean he was absent from the rest of the universe? No, because he can be physical, he can be somewhere, and he can simultaneously be anywhere or everywhere as he chooses. So when we look at Jacob's response, we, we see that Jacob makes this connection. Let's go to chapter 28, verse 20. And most translations, I think, have a difficulty here. We'll try to unpack it. It says, Jacob made a vow, and he said, if God will be with me, and will keep me on this journey that I take, and will give me food to eat, and garments to wear, and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. So this sounds like a classic way that people negotiate with God. They want to make a deal with God. They want to bargain with him and they say, if you'll do this, this and this, then you can be God to me. You can be, you know, what a deal you're getting if you do all this for me. And the problem I think is in our translation and our understanding rather than in the words Jacob actually uttered. It is true that in, in the Hebrew, you could make the case for saying, if God will be with me. But I don't think that really captures the, the best choice of words in English. And as a starter, it would be better to say, since. Since you will be with me. And do you see what a difference that makes? Since you'll be with me, then you will be God. And Another way of saying it is in light of the fact, in light of the fact that you will be with me, in light of the fact you are my God. It, when we say if, it sounds like an expression of doubt or uncertainty or like Jacob is just negotiating. He's trying to get the best deal he possibly can from God. And he's making his commitment conditional and saying, God, right now, 
This is all words you're saying to me. So when you deliver, then you'll be my God. I don't think that captures at all what really is happening with Jacob. And one of the reasons I see it differently is the way verse 20 begins. Jacob made a vow. He made a promise. So he's not making a negotiation. This is not the art of the deal where he's going to put his offer forward and see what God will do. God has made a promise to him. And it's an important promise. It has personal aspects to it, and it also has, um, we can say, universal aspects. All the families of the earth are going to be blessed through Jacob and his descendants. But God makes promises to provide for Jacob. He makes promises to protect him. He makes promises to go with him. He makes promises to bring him back. And in response, Jacob says, wow, God. It sounds to me that Jacob is not making a bargain. He's not trying to negotiate. He's not like the guy, you all are familiar with this, uh, the, the guy who prayed for the parking space, you remember? And then he finds the parking space, and after having made this great promise to God, he, he says, never mind, I, I got one. I got a parking space. Yeah, people can try to negotiate with God. And they'll say, if you do this, then I will do that. I don't know about you, but I remember when I first tried to negotiate with the Lord. My brother Mark was living in Israel. He was doing his senior high school year in Israel. And he was in an area where there were um, bombs. And I prayed to God, and I negotiated with God, and I said, God, if, if you protect my brother, I'll do this, this, and this. And you know, as soon as I found out my brother was in good shape and the bombing was over, I sort of put that on the back burner. I'm glad God did not put that on the back burner. And he says, okay, you made a promise, sort of. It was... Have you ever, am I the only one who's ever made that kind of deal with God? How, how many have, good, I don't feel alone, I feel better. I don't think Jacob was actually doing that. I don't think he was making this a conditional um, commitment. I think he was responding to God's generosity and to God's mercy, and to God's initiative, and to God's sovereignty. And in English, we have this way of responding with gladness and gratitude to another person who offers some gift or an act of generosity or kindness to us, uh, where, where we say something like, well, if you're going to do that for me, wow, I want to do this for you. Have you ever felt so grateful to someone, you almost felt like it's too much. They're willing to give too much. It can be hard to receive generosity from other people. And in that case, it's a special use of the word if. And, and I think that may capture it here. But it, it's not right to look at Jacob as someone who's withholding commitment, but rather someone who's responding to commitment from God. God has said to Jacob, 
I've come down to be with you to tell you something. Think about what I've said to your father. Think about what I've said to your grandfather. Think about what I've promised. Think about what's happened from all those generations until now. You are now a key to the future. And interestingly, the sons of Jacob are all included. Am I right in the covenant? The sons of Abraham, you have two different directions. The sons of Isaac, you have two different directions. But the sons of Jacob of Israel, they're all included in this plan. So Jacob is is receiving this incredible promise, even if he doesn't fully understand it. But I believe he's filled with awe. That's why he responds the way that he does. I think he makes a vow, he makes a promise, and that helps us understand that this is not conditional, it's not uncertain, it's not, it's not a result of doubt. Like saying, yeah, you show me, God. If you'll show me, if you'll really do it, then later. And how much later would it be? It would be as many years as it would take until Jacob comes back. So can you imagine if it went that way? If Jacob was saying, well, you talk big, God, but really there's no way I can know. So I'm going to wait until I'm all the way back here before I trust you. That doesn't really work. It means from now until then, there's no trust going on. Do you remember when Moses was in this interesting situation? The Lord was calling him out of the desert to go back to uh, Egypt to bring the children of Israel back. And Moses had self-doubt and uncertainty about himself and even his desire to go back or his ability to go back and, and do what God was calling him to do. And, and Moses said, well, how can I prove to people that you're with me and that you're the one who sent me? And the Lord gave him three signs and two of them were miracles that he got to practice immediately. And the other one was a miracle he didn't get to practice. It was this one. You will be back here with all of them. And when that happens, you'll know. That will be the sign. Isn't that an interesting way that God deals with us sometimes? He says, I'll give you a sign. You'll be right back here. Later. That's the sign. But Moses didn't wait to trust the Lord until he got back. He had to trust the Lord from that moment. So when you think of this life of faith and how it applies to you, ask yourself this, are you holding back on trusting the Lord in some area of your life with some some part of your life and saying to God, I'm not going to trust you until later? Or are you ready to trust him now? Are you ready to say, Lord, I want to be true. I want to be one of those that says yes to you and trust you now. I think Jacob is saying, Lord, I trust you. I trust you now. I trust you in the near future. I trust you in the distant future. I trust you to the very end. And because of that, you will be my God. And he goes further He goes further in what he says. Um, It's in verse 22. 
This stone which I've set up as a pillar will be the house of God for me. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Of all you give me, I'm going to give a tenth to you. And so we see that Jacob is responding in two different ways because God has made promises that are two different kinds. He's made spiritual promises and he's made material promises as well. And Jacob responds with spiritual commitment and with material commitment. And he says, you will be my God. And this is an interesting construction in in verse uh, 22. All that you give me. Say that with me. All that you give me. Okay, that raises the question. Whatever Jacob has, is that part of the all? Whatever Jacob receives later? Or is it only the stuff that Jacob later decides, God gave this to me? Like, this stuff I got for myself, and it's mine, mine, and this... This little useless amount God gave me. I don't read it that way either. I think Jacob is saying, everything that I have in life, I will acknowledge comes from you. Do you read it that way? And so what belonged to the Lord then is everything. The Lord took from his everything and gave Jacob something, right? And Jacob says, in light of the fact that it all came from you, I'm giving back a tenth. And one of the ways of understanding that is the tenth is is a signifier that it all belongs to the Lord. And this is an acknowledgement. But in every case, what's interesting is Jacob doesn't reduce it to a certain kind of wealth. He doesn't say, if I'm farming and I raise produce, I'll give you a tenth of that, and that will be even then. He doesn't say, if I'm uh, a shepherd and I'm raising sheep, and I have more sheep, I'll give you a tenth of them. He doesn't say, if I trade, if I buy and sell and I make money, and become wealthy. If I end up with gold, I'll give you a tenth of that. He actually says, all, all. It's very interesting, isn't it? Because sometimes people have difficulty trusting God, both on the receiving side and on the giving side. And when we're in that condition, we don't really believe we've received enough from the Lord and we also aren't ready to trust him with a tenth. A tenth is enough to notice, right? If it were one-tenth of one percent, you'd barely notice. But a tenth, you can measure. You can say, wow, I have less. But it's a way of trusting. It's a way of trusting the Lord and saying, Lord, I really do trust you. And I not only trust you in the future, I have received from you because you're already trustworthy. You will be my God and all that you give me, I'll surely give a tenth to you. An expression of trust and loyalty to the Lord. I think 
God is looking for us to be wholehearted and to consider that our spiritual life and our material life are connected. They're part of one piece. So the things that are happening in our heart, the things that are happening in our mind, the relationships we have, the physical things that touch our body, the, the, the wealth that we have, the finances that we have, the jobs that we have, the houses that we have, the, the cars, uh, the possessions that we have, the families that we have, the dreams that we have. Whether they're spiritual or they're material, God wants us to see these things as gifts from him and to trust him and to trust him. If we trust him now, you know what? We will be able to trust him later. If we trust him with a little, we will be able to trust him with more. If we trust him as we're going into uncertain situations, we can trust him when we're going into certain situations. I'm certain of one thing, I'm going to die. How many of you are pretty sure that's true? I am going to die. And not to be morbid, but are you certain you're going to die? I'm certain you are. So here's the question, am I trusting God after that? Am I trusting him for eternity? Am I trusting him for now? Because if I trust him now, I can trust him later. If I say I will trust him later, I'm probably not trusting him now. Do you agree? That's a hard one. It would be much easier to say, you know what, God, here's the deal. If it turns out you raised me from the dead, then I'll trust you. But that doesn't work. There's no promise of resurrection for those who postpone trusting the Lord. <laughs> it's, he's not offering that deal. If we say, Lord, I tell you what, if it all turns out to my liking later, I will say you are my God. That's not a view of trust, nor a view of faith. Sarah considered God faithful who had promised, because he spoke, even though, according to all science, she could not have a child, she did conceive, and she had a child. Why? Because he who promised was faithful. That's why. It's not because science no longer was true, it's not because biology was no longer true. It's that God, who's not limited by such things, was true. And what he said he would do, he actually did. But it takes that kind of trusting response on our part in order to enter in that, to all that God has for us. Well, one of the things I noticed is that in our movement, Sometimes we want the blessings without the responsibilities. And part of the responsibility, I think, that God wants us to shoulder is this. 
We have to do our part. Each one of us has to do our part. We don't need to do someone else's part, but we do need to do our own part. And when we say to the Lord, I want to follow you, we are saying to the Lord, he named me, here I am, count on me. Here I am, Lord, you can use me. Here I am, send me. Assign to me responsibilities. When we do that, you know what? We truly become sons and daughters of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because they were not passive. And they were not just spiritual. They were seeing this world as completely connected. What happened in one area was connected to another area. Even what happened in this time of sleeping is connected to the time of waking. Even what happens in the area of dreams is connected to the things of the material future that have not yet unfolded, but will. And they saw this world as one piece, even though it had these different dimensions. When you and I unite our worlds together and say, Lord, you are the master of the universe and of my life, every part of it, how I use my time, how I think, how I allow my desires to be shaped by you. When we do this, you know what? We truly become conformed into the image of God. And when we do this under the leadership of our Messiah, and when we are filled with the Holy Spirit who empowers us in this way, then we can really fulfill what God has called us to do, to be part of those descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who God uses to bless all the families of the earth, all the nations of the earth. And I wanna challenge you, ask God to show you how you can be a blessing to many different kinds of people, not just your friends, not just in the areas of your comfort zone, but a blessing as God sees fit. And as you're using this holiday weekend to give thanks and to eat more turkey and have another piece of pie, I want to encourage you, say to the Lord, thank you, Lord. Thank you for calling me. Thank you for including me. And I want to do your will. Use me in this world too. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your kindnesses that you show us day after day. And we want to be those who are not trying to negotiate a new deal or trying to get a discount, but we want to serve you with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, and all of our strength. And let it be that our love for you and our love for our neighbors, Lord, grow stronger and more pure, that we could bring glory and honor to you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Let's close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise? And if you're standing alone, if you don't mind moving a little bit so that you're with someone. Thank you, Rabbi. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha Ye'er Adonai panavelecha v'yichunecha Yisa Adonai panavelecha v'yasem shalom. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. 
In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.